And good morning to y'all uh, watching online. Hey, uh, thank you for being here, really. Uh, if your first time is today, it's, uh, it's really an honor to welcome you. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at The Story. And it really means the world to us that you've joined us online for this, the 23rd consecutive Sunday of online-only worship here at The Story. Um, our mission is to inspire non-religious non Houstonians to follow Jesus, and that continues whether we're meeting in person or not. Y'all let us know in the comments, wherever you're watching, whatever platform you use, where you're watching from, whether it's your living room in Montrose or whether you're in some other country. We got people everywhere watching. We'd love to hear from you just where you're watching from and maybe how you're doing and whether you're looking forward to getting back to worshiping in person. I think as the numbers continue to improve here in Houston, we might have some very good news on that front very soon. So uh, there's, uh, we're about to turn a corner here and it feels really good. In the meantime, we're going to keep worshiping God as best we can and under these circumstances using this technology. And what a blessing that it is. Um, uh, the Sharpings and Nathan talked about our catalog. I've been carrying mine around with me. This is uh, my coffee, and I'm so proud of this catalog, so proud of the work that our staff, especially Kat Bruff and Pastor Giovanna, put into this catalog and everybody who contributed to it. Um, it's always a special thing to have the fall catalog at the story, but this year is a little extra special because of what a complicated year we've had. So y'all be sure and check that out if you received one at home or visit the story.church slash catalog for, uh, to, to uh, view that online. Also, uh, guys, I want to remind you that uh, we are so, so grateful, thankful from the bottom of my heart for all the financial support you've given the story throughout this difficult season. I know it's uh, tenuous times all around. And so the support you've uh, given so generously to your church has meant everything and has kept us going. So if you'd like to continue that support or if you'd like to give your first gift today, thank you as well. And this link is the way that you do that, thestory.church slash donate. We try to make that as easy and as safe as we can. So be sure to check that out before the service is up. Thank you so much again for your generosity. So I'm up here on stage again, where I've uh, not been for several weeks. Our, our little side project where I've been doing my sermons from is under construction now as we get that ready for the next series. And um, this week was supposed to kind of be a, a freestanding theme, right? One of those in-between sermons, not really belonging to a, to a series. But as I looked back over the uh, series that we just came out of, the Slow to Anger, uh, Making Peace in the Culture Wars, I realized that in the five parts of that series, we have a blind spot, and it's my blind spot. And I recognize it because I commit the same problem, the same mistake all the time. I have this blind spot, and it is a basic fear or avoidance of confrontation. And you see that coming through in the steps we've outlined for making peace in the modern day culture wars. So we talked about praying first, take your anger to God instead of just being mad at people. We talked about finding common ground, which is, you know, finding that mutual sort of sacred space you both share so that you can have some uh, comfortable place to start from. We talked about appealing to reason instead of just uh, diverting into emotional arguments, right? Making reasonable, rational, objective points. We talked about being slow to judge and quick uh, to confess. And Kale led us through that sermon and it was brilliant. And uh, then the, the fifth part was taking up your cross, which again, is just being willing to absorb maybe a punishment, maybe criticism that you may not deserve for the sake of making peace. And all of that is good stuff. Don't get me wrong. I'm not retracting any of that. That's good, but it left something important out. 
Because in the way of Jesus, you cannot really talk about peace or make peace without confrontation. And the truth is we don't like confrontation. We don't like talking about confrontation. We don't really think confrontation is a Christian virtue. Christians don't confront each other. We're supposed to be nice. And so we avoid confrontation because it's, it's very uncomfortable. And, and those of us who don't avoid confrontation are usually really just bad at it and because we come at it from a secular perspective. And a lot of times our confrontation in our relationships comes down to steamroller versus flat surface. And you got a steamroller who thinks confrontation means just, you know, full steam ahead, nothing matters, just I got to get this out of my system. And you got a flat surface that just lays there and takes it. That is not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about confrontation today, all right? That's how many in the world might look at confrontation. That might be how you've looked at it in the past. That might be how you're living it out right now. That is not what I mean. I want us to grow in in our understanding of confrontation today instead of just slipping back into those steamroller versus flat surface kinds of assumptions. Because a lot of times, you know, a steamroller... (laughs) We'll meet another steamroller, for example, and they'll fall in love and get married because it's super exciting to be two steamrollers in love because you fight hard and you make up hard and it's kind of hot and all that until you get tired of fighting and then one of you meets a a flat surface uh, at work or something and, and she makes you feel you know, so different and so much better. Like the flat surface, the, the, the steamroller in your life never made you feel that way, right? So, and then you come to my office and you've asked me to bless your divorce and I won't, you know, it's like that kind of thing. Um, and then the same thing can happen with two flat surfaces, meet each other and fall in love. And, and there's this whole like, uh, you know, sweet silence in their marriage. There's very little that's ever said. It's almost too quiet, like in a horror movie, right before the villain jumps out. And, um, and, and you think that's what love looks like, never being confrontational until, you know, uh, the, one of the flat surfaces decides they need a steamroller in their life and they happen to be talking to one from their past on Facebook and then they come to me and ask me to bless their divorce. And I won't. And um, <laughs> that's how it often works. But most often what happens is a, a steamroller and a flat surface will find each other and, uh, and, and decide that confrontation looks like a steamroller just blowing up and getting it out of their system and the flat surface being the, the bigger person kind. That's how we say it. It's totally wrong, by the way. All you have is an aggressive-aggressive person and a passive-aggressive person. Neither one of them are doing confrontation right. And so I think Christians have uh, the corner, corner of the market on this whole com- conversation on confrontation. I want to talk about what that looks like for my good and for your good. Because if you've ever felt stagnant in your life of faith, I guarantee you it had something to do with your avoidance of or ineptitude at <laughs> Christian confrontation. So let's talk about this. I've got uh, a few questions uh, on my mind. First of all, I just want to make clear, I'm not talking about bullying. I'm not talking about steamrolling. I'm talking about speaking the truth in love. That is the foundational phrase we go back to when we Christians talk about confrontation, speaking the truth in love. You probably heard this before. You may not have any idea what it means or where it comes from. We're going to discuss that today. So where do we get the idea of speaking in truth in love? Where does that come from? Uh, speaking truth and love. The, the second question I want to, to ask is, what does that really look like 
in a practical sense. How do you apply speaking truth and love to a relationship you're in? And then the third question, I'm going to save until the end. I'm going to surprise you with that one at the end, okay? So th- those are the, the three things we're going to accomplish today. First, where does this idea of speaking truth and love come from? It comes from Ephesians chapter 4. This is Paul's New Testament letter to the churches in Ephesus in the first century. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 and verses 14 and 15. You can follow along on the screens or pull up your Bible or Bible app. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, 14 and 15. Paul wrote, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, there it is, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ Jesus. All right, so in this passage, we see Paul urging the Christians in Ephesus in the first century to not allow themselves to settle into religious ruts that lead to spiritual stagnation. When you follow Jesus, there is no time for stagnation. There is no room for ruts. Did you hear some of the language Paul used in this passage? He he talked about walking with Jesus, which implies a forward motion, right? He talked about growing and not being infants any longer. That implies a, a vertical growth, a maturity. Christians are called to maturity, And not just staying in the same place, not just making the same mistakes, but growing spiritually. And and what happens when when we grow spiritually, what we're saying is our character is changing. The Holy Spirit is transforming who we are. And and this is a process Christians call sanctification. And this is what happens to believers after you decide Jesus is the Lord of your life and you believe he is who he said he was and all that. You enter into a process, a walk, a maturity growth process where over time the Holy Spirit um, peels back the layers of sin that have covered you, that have defined you, washes away some of the grime that, that covers you and reveals the image of God that is within you, the the image of God in which God made you, and and thus revealing the purpose and your true identity in this life, right? So this sanctification process is what we are all about as Christians, or it's supposed to be what we are all about. So, and this only happens when we walk with him, when we grow with him. Now, this is why we do the things that we do at church. We pray and we fast and, uh, and we worship 
and we go to small groups and we'll, we'll start doing a lot of these things again this fall. We go to marriage class, Bible studies. We do all of these things. We give money, right? In, in, and we study the Bible in community. All of these things, because in these things, the Holy Spirit is working to reshape our character, to confront us, to call us out on who we've been and the things we need to leave behind, the parts of us that need to die so that the Holy Spirit can make us, remake us in the image of God. Now, another way that this happens, uh, other than the Holy Spirit just convicting you and calling you out, is in community when Christian friends who are following Jesus with you also uh, answer the call to call you out, to confront you. When we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, begin to call one another out, speaking the truth in love to each other, that is where real change happens. Y'all, that is what is supposed to be happening at all of our small group gatherings, for example. And too often, obviously, uh, our, our MO becomes something less than that, right? It becomes about like drinking wine and talking about how busy we are and praying for our great aunt's dead cat or something. And, and not that there's anything bad about that, do those things, that's fine, but the, the core of your community should be Christian confrontation. It should be um, loving one another by speaking truth to, to one another. And uh, this is difficult for us, and that's why I think, that's why we avoid it. And what we replace that with is usually some idea that uh, what, what it means to be a Christian, the mark of the Christian life, is attendance. Look, it's not really about being convicted or confronted. It's just about showing up and being there. Hey, guys, I'm here. I'm a Christian now, right? And that's kind of how we look at it, really. I go to church. I go to small group. I'm a Christian. And if you don't do those things, maybe you're not a Christian. And so if that's what we're doing, if that's what we think we're about, then the goal becomes inviting our non-religious, unbelieving friends to attend as well so we can call them Christians too. Listen, I'm telling I'm speaking truth and love right now when I tell you there is not a word in the Bible that relates attendance with the Christian life. Like just attendance is not the mark of the Christian life. There is more. Sanctification is the mark of the Christian life. When you put your whole faith and trust in Jesus and follow him kinetically, the Holy Spirit and your Christian brothers and sisters work on you to whittle away the stuff that shouldn't be there anymore and reveal who you really are, who God made you to be. That's what it means to speak truth in love. If you're a steamroller, you might speak truth but you really have love. If you're a flat surface, you might say you love the steamrollers in your life, but you're not telling the truth. And Jesus calls us as brothers and sisters in Christ to do both for one another. Really, truth without love is not truth. That's why I tell you all to stop talking about your politics on Facebook because you're saying things that might be true, but you're not saying them with love. And you might think, well, I love people when I say that. No, okay. They don't know that. <laughs> Facebook doesn't have that ability. Say that, you know, truth without love is not true. Just like love without truth is not real love. Now, the second question I want to talk about is what does it look like practically to speak truth in love? Thankfully, 
for you and for me, uh, this is already done for us. This, this, sermon, this part of the sermon is already preached. Jesus gave it to us, like word for word. Uh, Matthew 18, this is uh, Christianity 101 here. This is the model for speaking the truth in love. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. Jesus said, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. If they won't listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. All right, so Jesus begins this uh, by, by outlining a, sort of the model way we should confront each other. He says it's, it starts with the one-on-one starts with just you and that person. If you see some sin in their life or they see some sin in your life and you love them, you go to them privately, you invite them out to coffee and you tell them the truth. Not everybody has to know about this. Why? Because the, the process of Christian confirmation is not about shaming them, outing them, canceling them. None of that has any place in the life of the Christian community. It is to build them up. It is for their good. And so you approach them privately and say, look, brother, I've just, I just had this on my heart and I love you so much. And I've dealt with something similar in my past. And so I just want to tell you, when I see this pattern of anger, it seems like when, when, when life's out of your control, you start to, to manifest that anger again. And, and I just want to talk to you about it and let you know that I'm here for you. And, or, you know, sister, I've, I've noticed in our small group, the way you, when you talk about your husband publicly, you you diminish his role. You diminish his masculinity or his identity. You diminish him instead of building him up. I just want to talk about that and see if, if you know, we can, we can talk and, and grow together in this regard um, because we're here to build each other up. We're here to build our spouses up. This one-on-one is so important. Now, Jesus says, if the one-on-one doesn't work and they refuse or they reject your, your, uh, your accountability, Jesus says there, there's a remedy here. Then you go and find one or two others to go with you and, and talk to them. And I, I've always completely butchered this passage. I think it's because of the stuff I learned earlier in my life in, in the Bible Belt. I always thought this was like the, the intervention kind of phase where you, where you dogpile them. You know, like uh, you find people who hate that person as much as you do, and then you go after them. Like, uh, do y'all hate that about Mike too? Let's go get Mike. And uh, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. If you read the language that he used when he quoted Deuteronomy in that passage, he used the word witnesses, not uh, accusers. They're there to be witnesses, right? So this, this works on a couple of levels. I've seen this work in real life where you have witnesses come and hear the Christian confrontation uh, conversation and, and the witnesses hear something that you weren't hearing before and they realize you might be the problem. You know, that kind of thing uh, happens. And so they're there for the protection of all involved. It's a uh, accountability um, uh, enhancer, I think, that, that Jesus calls for this uh, it's a step that we don't often um, include because we think it's too intense. We think it's mean to team up on somebody. That's not what this is, not in the way of Jesus. And then Jesus says, if they still won't hear you, take it to the church, right? Take it to church leaders. Take it to your small group leaders. Take it to a pastor. Take it to a staff person you trust. Take it to the advisory board so that we can be intervening in prayer so that we can sort of run interference if necessary and, and, uh, and, and really intercede for you however we 
we can there. The whole point of this process is to build each other up. Now, Jesus says at the end something that I've always thought was kind of harsh. He says, if that doesn't work, just treat them like you would a pagan. (laughs) Treat them like you would a pagan or a tax collector. And and I think I've always heard from youth leaders and pastors in my past that that means you kick them out. You just, you shun them. Teach them a lesson with some tough love. Shun them from your community. Don't let them in the door. Change the locks on the church building. Like whatever, whatever it takes, don't let them in. Uh, outside of the city walls. That's what they did with pagans, right, in Jesus' day. Okay, yes, except who is saying this part in this passage? Is it just some random rabbi who might have believed that's what we do with pagans and tax collectors? This is Jesus. What do we know about how Jesus treated pagans and tax collectors? With the utmost respect, the utmost dignity, he always had time for them. His door was always open to them. He always talked to them. He always listened to them. He valued them. Now, he didn't call them his disciples until they repented and, and uh, came along, right? But, but it doesn't mean that he completely shut them out. So I, cancel culture has no place in the Christian worldview. That is a, a secular abomination unto God. The idea that we should just cancel someone, be done with them, cut them off until they hit rock bottom and come groveling back. That is not the way of Jesus. Jesus is the shepherd that goes out and searches for the lost sheep, right? And so we should always be about grace and mercy like Jesus was. The third question I want to ask you as I wrap up today is who do you have in your life that's speaking hard truths to you? Just think about it. Can you name a person, a Christian, following Jesus with you, who comes alongside of you and is willing to speak hard truth to you. Like anybody can can tell the truth in love if it's an easy truth, right? The sky is blue and I love it, okay? But but the kind of truth that is that that must be spoken in love is is the is the hard kind of truth. So can you look them in the eye and tell them that you see the sin they're struggling with? You know, can, can you look them in the eye and be brutally honest with them for their good, for their well-being? So um, a lot of times we, we just don't want to deal with it. So we will what? We'll avoid. And we, I swear, we are some of the best avoiders when it comes to conflict. Many of us just have mastered this art. And I'm here to tell you that conflict avoidance kills. Conflict avoidance kills especially in spiritual terms, in terms of your faith. Conflict avoidance is a death knell over time. We avoid to our own detriment just because it's hard to hear the truth about ourselves. And this is where we really have to ask that question I raised earlier, is love without truth really love at all? The people in your life who don't feel like they should or can come to you with the truth, but they say they love you. Is that really love? Is that what love looks like? Is it, is it love to give heart-shaped sugar cookies to a diabetic just because they're heart-shaped? doesn't make it love. That's not love. Is it love to, you know, if you're, you're raising a child, uh, an impressionable, developing young mind to just give them unlimited screen time with video games and stuff, just because that he told you that makes him happy. And when you love a child, you want to make him happy, right? Is that what love is? No. Love is saying, you're a diabetic, have a carrot. Love is saying, <laughs> love is saying, 
you're six, Johnny. You can't have your own iPhone. Love is, is oftentimes saying a hard thing for the sake of someone's good, right? So um, Proverbs 27 is sort of the go-to passage for Christians here. And it's one that every Christian has heard, especially Christian men we love. We build weekend experiences around this passage. This is Proverbs 27, 17, which says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Everybody knows this verse, verse, real men and the church love this verse. Like, yeah, you're my iron, bro. Thanks for being my iron. <laughs> okay, except none of us think about the process itself. If you've ever seen iron sharpening iron, you know it is a brutal process. It is full of sparks and fire and, and impact and loud noises. And sometimes that is exactly what confrontation feels like. Even Christian confrontation can feel that way because it's intense. It's scary. You never know. You never know what their reaction is going to be. That's what keeps us from doing this sometimes. You never know if they're going to hate you for it. You never know if they'll walk away from you and never come back. You never know if they'll fight you about it. You know, you never know what you're getting into. And that's what makes it scary. And I say that to just get here. If you don't have someone in your life who regularly honestly speaks the truth in love, convicting you, calling you out, I would suggest that could be because the people in your life feel like that door isn't open with you. They are afraid of it. They're afraid of your reaction to it. They're afraid that they might send you over the edge. You'll get angry or they're afraid they'll send you over the cliff and you'll get, you know, depressed and, uh, and passive aggressive. Or maybe they've tried it in the past and it didn't work. And, and they need to know from you right now that the door is open now because it's a new day and you want to be called out. You want to be confronted about sin. You want to be told the truth in love. Choose not to be an avoider of confrontation any longer. Otherwise, if you insist on avoiding confrontation and never being called out for the sake of sanctification, I would ask you to reassess your faith in Jesus. I'm not sure we can in good conscience call ourselves Christians if we choose to be stagnant instead of sanctified. Because following Jesus means growing and changing, and being transformed to look more like him, to love more like him, to live more like him. Jesus became the Lord of my life in 2013. And ever since, I've been so grateful for all of the ways people and the Holy Spirit, but also people have spoken truth, painful truth into my life. I wasn't grateful for it when they did it, but I'm grateful for it now. And I can't say that I've always been open to it, but I've learned over time that the people who love me genuinely and walk, walking with Jesus alongside me, they are almost always right about the stuff I need to work on. So it's not stuff I want to hear, but I'm open to it now. So my wife has, has told me that she perceived some insecurity in me in the past, and I didn't want to hear it. I was, I was sensitive to that, especially when I was insecure. Ironically, was when I didn't want to hear about my insecurity, <laughs> but that's when I needed it the most. And so I asked Jesus to help me figure out where the root of that insecurity is, and over time that he did. And I'm still not perfect in that regard, but I'm getting there. Thank God. And I've got a best friend in my life who tells me from time to time, I see that cynical Eric coming back to the surface. I see that cynical edge in you, Eric. And he's right. When I get tired, when I skip my Sabbath, I get, I get really cynical, skeptical, hard of heart. I, I, I'm not careful with my words. 
I can get offensive. And, and I, I know I need to repent of skipping those Sabbaths and get some rhythm, some balance in my life. The staff here at the story holds me accountable all the time because they love me, because they love me. And they're always calling me out about my procrastination, for example. And I'm, one day I'm gonna get around to fixing that um, tomorrow, tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> uh, I jest, but this is all very important and very serious because this is the path to real life, the abundant life in Jesus Christ. There are some bumps along the way, along this path. Some, some days are difficult when the people that love you call you out and, and uh, confront you over the sins that you need to wrestle with and let go of. But I'm telling you, if you've ever gotten to a place in your life where church just gets boring, where religion or church attendance or worship services or um, the Bible itself or even God, your relationship there just gets boring and stagnant. I'm telling you, it's not because of God. He's as exciting as he's ever been. If your feelings have changed, I would venture to guess that at least part of it, if not all of it, is due to your avoidance of confrontation, avoiding confrontation with the Holy Spirit or avoiding confrontation with the people around you who love you, who are following Jesus with you. Because you're not just called to attendance here. You're called to sanctification. You're called to let the Holy Spirit and the people God puts in your life work on you. To peel back those layers of sin, wash away that grime and reveal the image of God. The image in which God made you. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, help us with this one. We need it. Uh, We don't like confrontation. We don't like confronting others and we don't like being confronted. But Lord, help us to see that the Christian way of confrontation is so much different than what we've seen in the world and online and everywhere else we look. It's so much holier and more helpful. Help us to just uh, embrace this teaching today. Whether it means uh, there's someone in our lives that we know uh, needs to be called to account because we love them, or whether it's us, whether we have built a fence around our hearts and uh, We've got a big keep out sign on it so that the people around us who love us feel like uh, confrontation is a no-go. Humble us, Father. Free us from our insecurities and our pride. Help us to be open to the sanctification your Holy Spirit has in store for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.